Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Thank you. Well, welcome back to Persistence You with Lisbeth. I am super thrilled to have Victoria Shanklin with me, also from Anchorage, Alaska, like myself. And Victoria is a friend of mine now, but we met because of our respective roles in working with criminal justice. And maybe some of you don't know, but I am a retired probation supervisor for juveniles and did some other work with victims before then. And frankly, I wouldn't be here having a podcast were it not for the fact that I was a victim of crime. And then my kids were subsequently victimized in a separate robbery some years ago. So what happens with victims of crime really matters a lot to me, but so does criminal justice reform. And I think a lot of times when we hear about criminal justice and criminal justice reform, when there's an election, um, and wherever you are in the world, that's pretty much the times that we hear about it. Or when you hear of a celebrity rallying to the side of criminals who are in prison, who may be innocent and who need protection, that's wonderful. But what we often see left behind are victims of crime. And my experience, even in the juvenile probation system, was that we have a lot of community members very interested in buying, let's say, presents and things like that on holidays for the youthful uh, individuals who committed crimes. And I don't ever see that same interest in rallying to the support of victims of crime. And we see that financially, which we'll talk about later, that money often flows to the justice system to hold offenders accountable. And again, we want them to be treated fairly, humanely, and have efforts for rehabilitation. But victims of crime need support too. So I wanted to talk to Victoria Shanklin today. She's the executive director of Alaska's Victims for Justice. But her interesting story of persistence came before that. Victoria was working at a nonprofit here, always serving uh, individuals in the human services field when one Alaskan sunny, sunny night in the summer I will let her begin from here. Thank you, Victoria. Can you yeah. tell us about that night? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so it was uh, a summer evening in Anchorage, Alaska. So as we all know, that means that there's plenty of light in the sky, which we all appreciate and enjoy. Um, but I was, it was a Monday night and I was um, celebrating a friend's birthday at a downtown restaurant. And... We were leaving the restaurant and a friend offered me to walk me to my car, which I usually say, no, 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 I'm an independent woman, but I, uh, <laughs> I agreed. And now I'm actually very grateful for that. But um, uh, me and this other person, we walked to my car, which was not far from the restaurant. And just right when we got to my car, um, a, another SUV came screaming down the street, blocked in my vehicle. And two men got out of the car um, with two guns. They put one gun to my head and one gun to my friend's head. And they told us, they told 
to give them everything we had. Um, so, you know, that kind of moment is a little bit of a blur now, but, um, I remember thinking over and over again, keep your phone, keep your phone, keep your phone. Cause I really wanted to be able to call the police when it was done. Good. Um, and we got off incredibly lucky. You know, they, we gave them what we had. I kind of reached into my bag and pulled things out, hoping that they'd be good with that. He did the same with his pockets. Um, and they were gone relatively quickly. I kept thinking also in my mind, okay, is there a license plate? Is there, you know, I was trying to like think of things while I was there. Um, but what was interesting is after it was all over, I was in complete shock and I just was frozen. I, after all that thought process of like, keep your phone, keep your phone, keep your phone. I couldn't even dial. Uh, it was my friend who had to take my phone and call the police. Um, so anyway, Wow. Uh, long story longer, <laughs> they came relatively quickly once we had called them. Um, and they just kind of took our basic statements. And I think they must have given me something in the process that said that was like a, a referral, a card or something. Maybe they gave me a little blue book, which they usually give crime victims. I have no idea. I lost it immediately. <laughs> right. As um, you do when you're in shock after something traumatic happens. It's absolutely. not that uncommon. Yeah. No idea. And so, um, but I never heard anything after that. There was absolutely no follow-up from detectives, from patrol. There was no follow-up in terms of um, if anybody was prosecuted or caught or anything else like that. Um so yeah, it was just kind of a unique experience. And I think recognizing um, my own reaction in that, even though I'd been in victim services for quite some time, was kind of um, surprising to me because I was a single person who lived alone. And now these people had my all my information. Um, but I knew I was incredibly lucky because I was born and raised in the area. So I did have friends and family that I could reach out to, but it really got me thinking too about well, what if I was in from the village? What if I was in from out of town? Um, again, no follow-up, no kind of direction. Um, and I, I mean, it just only intensifies the situation that much more. Right. It's a lot to navigate the criminal justice system. And I think when I worked in probation, I remember thinking, boy, all of these acronyms that we throw around are hard for me to remember. What if I have just gone through being a victim of crime? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so much to take in. And I think you have certain expectations, like you would get a call back, like there would be updates about maybe court or maybe, hey, we don't have anything yet or whatever. But again, like you said, you had some handouts that just kind of went missing immediately and then nothing. It just stopped. So then what happened when you saw the job come available as the executive director, which is a pretty audacious step for Victims for Justice? Yeah. Um, so it had been, I think, six to eight months after the incident. So I felt like I was like in a, a good spot for it. And especially considering, again, nothing really happened to me specifically. And so um, when I saw that the role come available, it just seemed like the right fit at the right time. Right. Um, you know, I was in another nonprofit as a manager. And um, this was just something I was really passionate about. And something, again, I realized that oh, hey, there's nobody else that really does this niche of type of victimization. And so um, I was really drawn to it. 
Oh, that's fantastic. And when you say nothing happened to you, you mean you weren't physically harmed? Is that what you mean? Yeah, that, okay. and we tend to minimize. I know that sounds, uh, I should know better <laughs> to say things like You were a victim of a robbery that could have killed you, but you were not physically harmed. And that is a good thing Correct. to recognize also. Yeah. That you did and- emerge in a way that allowed you then to think clearly to move forward intentionally with your job, which is fabulous. Yeah. And I I tell other people not to minimize and yet I do it myself even today. (laughs) (laughs) It is human nature. It just is. And, And it's so important. I think a lot of times people don't understand the importance of victim services. And of course you, we have a different domestic violence agency that handles victims of domestic violence and you come into contact with them as well. But Anytime you're a victim of any kind of crime, frankly, the case hinges on the victim being well-prepared, somewhat informed, and in control of all their faculties, if at all possible, or that case won't be prosecuted. The entire community needs victims. Ironically, even so do offenders who are hoping to change one day because they won't be held fully accountable or know the impact of their decisions unless they can hear it from a victim who feels empowered to do it. So your agency is so important and agencies across the world like it. Can you give me a snapshot of what day-to-day some of the neat things that you guys are doing to help victims um, kind of find their voice and make sense of their experience and heal. Yeah. So we help victims at whatever stage in the process they're in. Our organization specifically focuses on what is known as other or underserved crime, which just that title of underserved should tell you a lot. Um, But it is uh, homicide, assault, arson, robbery, hit and runs, these things that don't really fit into a box that often gets notoriety like domestic violence or sexual assault, which are incredibly important as well. But um, again, there's then all this other crime. And so we focus on that and we help victims at wherever stage they are in the process. So that may be immediately after an incident has occurred and you're like me and froze and need assistance. Maybe if I didn't have financial resources to get a new ID, to have a safe door lock put on my house. to So it's kind of those emergency logistical things. Um, later down the road, they might be more in a state of where they want more emotional support, you know, because oddly, you're actually not even ready for the emotional right away. Um, but whatever, wherever somebody is in the process. And then we continue to help them throughout the criminal justice process. So that may be later speaking with detectives, getting updates on cases, um, or it could be down the road with legal services. So at the district attorney's office, what's going on with the case, court accompaniment, uh, victim impact statement. And folks, we had a moment of technical difficulties. I'm still with Victoria Shanklin, again, kindly. And you were talking about a day in the life, like what you all do at Victims for Justice to support victims. You talked about court and talking about, talked about connecting with detectives, all of those things. And you provide some long-term services too, don't you? So can you go back to that for just a second of what you all are doing to empower victims? Yeah, again, it just depends on where somebody is in the process. But in general, um, for instance, there's some people that work with for many, many years, five, six years. Um, In Alaska, we have an issue with court delays. And so it may be up to five years until there's even a trial. 
Um, and then after that, many years, they may come back to us because it's time for, sorry, I'm losing my, it, so it, there's a parole hearing or something like that that comes sure. up. So everything's re-triggered and um, they need to do a victim impact statement again, or maybe they just need to connect with an advocate again and talk through things and vent or join the support group again. But we're here and there throughout the entire process when people want us. What I've loved is in my former work, when there were surviving homicide victims, in other words, if someone's son had been killed, their daughter, their husband, you all have been there for years providing peer support and things like that for them, because sometimes we don't even fully feel the impact of crime on our lives until well after it's over, sometimes years after it's over. And of course, it's horrible after a trial ends if things didn't turn out the way we expect sometimes, if we're surviving victims. It may be even worse for people who don't ever get that far to trial. Maybe the case was dumped or maybe the suspect wasn't, you know, appealed their sentence or they weren't even located to begin with, like in your case. So those are some valuable services. Yeah, absolutely. And there's cold case issues that come up all the time and just even contacting um, detectives later on. Right now in Alaska, again, we have the missing and murdered indigenous persons um, efforts that are going on here. And so people, it's striking up uh, a lot of issues for people wanting to reconnect and revisit. Hey, has anybody done any work? Where's my case? Has anybody learned anything? Um, so yeah, it's just important to have people throughout that entire process. It really is such a confusing process and so many different people to meet along the way that when you're a victim of crime, you never ask to be there. And I think that's one of the things that for those who are dealing with victims of crime, sometimes they're dealing with the angriest people in the world and it makes life more difficult for them. But again, when you've been victimized, you know that you never ask to be in that situation. You're ending up with a whole bunch of procedures and time off and all these things that you never asked for. And so it's just good to remember that. I'm so glad you all are doing the work that you do. Now, it's important work, and we've talked about that, but how is funding going for groups like Victims for Justice in 2021 post-pandemic? Yeah, so actually that was some notification we just got last week is that our budget is actually going to be cut by about 34%. Um, which is significant hit to an organization like ours, and especially given uh, all the new partnerships that we developed with the Anchorage Police Department and the District Attorney's Office. Um, this is a result of uh, some funding that comes through the Violence of uh, Victims of Crime Act, okay. otherwise known as VOCA. This might be getting too detailed, but in general. Uh, those funds that go to support victim service agencies throughout the United States are um, funded by fees and um, penalties from crimes that have occurred. And basically with all things COVID and things slowing down, there haven't been trials going on. So that fund hasn't been funded and there's just less to go around all around. And so in Alaska, again, are basically all victim services that receive funding through one entity are getting cut by at least 30%. That's amazing. That's basically a third of your budget has just been 
you know, unexpectedly chopped. Yeah. So that leads me to, well, I know that victims needs have not lessened because of COVID. So what can people do wherever they're at to support victims of crime? And, you know, again, where can people get a hold of you? I know you have some fundraisers and some wonderful things coming up as it's about to be in America. Anyhow, victims rights, uh, week. Is that correct? In yeah, April every year. It's a long acronym, but National Crime Victims Rights Week, it's coming up. And that is kind of our week when we really try to amplify the voices of victims in Alaska. And I know that they do it nationally as well. Um, but in general, it really is a platform so that we can ensure that our voices are being heard. And there's just different opportunities here for people to participate, whether that is something more ceremonial and spiritual to them, or it obviously is an opportunity to fundraise. So for us, especially given what's going on now, we're encouraging people to reach out and to donate if it's an organization that means something to you. And our technology failed us again. I asked Victoria if senators and legislators tended to include victims in their sweeping recommendations for justice reform as the years go by, and she told me they do not. In fact, crime victims are always the last add-on, that sort of inconvenient call that we have to make when plowing through court cases and politics and all of that. So Victoria can be found at victimsforjustice.org, but there are a few things you can do this week, month, and year to support victims of crime, and some have a cost to them and some do not. One of the first things you can do is if you know someone impacted by crime recently is be patient. They may be angry, they may be out of sorts, and it is not personal. And so understand that they will probably lose things for a while, like literally physically lose things. They'll lose their memory. They'll need to be reminded of things over and over. They may go through bits of depression and then be in denial about that. But refer them to your local victim service serving agencies, wherever it is that you live. Also, just on a citizen note, you could always get involved with donating directly to places like victimsforjustice.org or going to a silent auction, even online, of your local battered women shelter or sexual assault shelter, whatever it is. But everything that you do does make a difference from being patient with people who've been victimized by crime to giving your resources to crimes, uh, victims of crime serving agencies, all of that starts to add up. We know that they've lost across the United States up to about a third of some of the funding that goes to victim services, yet their needs are just as great as ever. So it's time for us to all stand up and step up, see what we can do to make a difference for people who've been victimized by crime. Thanks so much for your participation this week. And I always love to get your emails and comments on Facebook. And of course, you can always find me at my website at lameredith.com. We'll have Victoria's show notes and some great photos, things like that. 
I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.